Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for downloading episode 123 of We Got This with Mark and Hal, featuring special guest Jesse Thorne. His new special limited series podcast, The Turnaround, is available now at MaximumFun.org. It is a collection of interviews that Jesse has done with some of the best interviewers in the world. It's a really interesting deep dive and a great dissection of what makes a great interview. So please check that out. Also, if you are in the Philadelphia area or you can get to it easily, you're going to want to be there on Friday, July 21st at 8 p.m. at Ruba Club to see Mark and I do We Got This live with special guest Maureen Johnson. Maureen and I are both coming home to Philadelphia to see you. You can get tickets at bit.ly forward slash We Got Philly. You are not going to want to miss this. But for now, please enjoy episode 123 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best 90s sitcom. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Oh, hell. Yes, Mark. This is an exciting day. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited because we have here with us for this episode the founder of of the Maximum Fun Network, our beloved home, Jesse yes. Thorne is with us today. Hi, gentlemen. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Wherever it is that I am, somewhere in the far north reaches <laughs> yes. of the Los Angeles area. Now, how would you describe, we're in Mark's apartment right now, just freeform what you're picking up in this room. What are the vibes? Murderous, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's not enough stuff to suggest that an adult human lives here. You guys, I just moved in this week. He appears to have all the Harry Potter movies on DVD I and do. nothing else. Yeah. I, I see the cassette and CD player that looks like an old-time record player, which leads yep. me to think that this is a flop house for hipsters. It is a flop house for hipsters. Yeah, yeah flop house for hipsters or flop house for people, for like people in a retirement home whose baby boomer children bought them home entertainment <laughs> novelty gifts. <laughs> Either one, yeah. Hey, it's, man, it's got one of those auxiliary plug-ins. There you go. I can put my phone in it. So yeah. I can hear it. I you also have a a small to medium sized flat screen TV mm-hmm. that is running a screensaver, which I yeah. didn't know was still a thing. Look, yep. I roll grandma style. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but that screensaver is a little clock that is telling us uh, what time it is on the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Why have you not? I. So we recorded here like a week ago, and I looked at that and realized it was on East Coast time, and I thought to myself. Heading up here, surely he's fixed that, but you never will, will you? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. I kind of like having, I want to get the three clocks and have them for each of the different cities labeled, uh, yeah, like New I'm York, an old timey newsroom. Philadelphia and Boston. Yeah, three exactly. East Coast clocks. Perfect. <laughs> All right. We're not here to talk about no. clocks. We're no. here to talk about 90 sitcoms. This was suggested by Long Oogleite on Reddit. Oh, long Oogwite, always with the wonderful contributions. Always. Just a, a seminal contributor to this show can on I tell topics. You, can I tell you who I hate? Please. Short Oogwite. Oh. <laughs> He's so curt. <laughs> Everything he says yeah. is so curt. Uh, yeah. 
He just feels like a hanger on. Yeah, you want more of that high quality entertainment? <laughs> Stick with the Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> All right, this is it. let's let's get into these uh, these 1990s sitcoms. Yes, we have uh, our our researcher Kate McManus has put together for us a list of 90s sitcoms. Um, some of which we had a little problem with looking because they, while they technically were part of the nineties, they are more, uh, known more for a different decade, uh, whether it's Will and Grace in the early two thousands or it's, uh, Cheers in the 1980s. So we tried to look at the list, which I believe was about 70 shows deep. Yes. A um, lot of shows. So it's my fault because I, I told Kate, I was like, let's start with a really liberal definition. Okay. Let's mm-hmm. say. A 90s show is something that either started in, in the 1990s uh, or ended in the 1990s but aired for at least three years of the 90s. So you get a lot of shows with a list like that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Becker started in the 90s and so did Just Shoot Me. I think they were both in 97. But I don't think of either of them as 90s sitcoms. They just meet that odd criteria that right. I made up. That you arbitrarily decided on and basically ruined the beginning of this episode, Hal. That's what I do. What do you see what I do to the middle and the ending? <laughs> yeah, I have to disagree with you there, Hal. I can't think 90s without thinking Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that is my only television credit that I really have is an episode of Becker. <laughs> I love that you brought that show up. Like, it's still that far in the front of it your mind. Happened. It's the only credit I have. It's not like I have to rifle through a file of facts of TV. It was great, though. You were great on Becker. Yes, of course. As patient of the week, Mr. O'Neill. Is that yeah. how is that how this show works? Should I be saying that the best sitcom of the nineties is History Channel's Christmas Through the Decades? Because that's my only real TV credit. <laughs> oh wait, I, I loved, hear about wait, that. yeah, I loved Christmas Through the Decades. You've I, seen I'd have never heard of that. I absolutely have seen it. I am on Christmas Through the Decades. I don't know why. Uh <laughs> I am not a, it, technically in the entertainment industry, <laughs> much less the television portion of the entertainment industry. Someone emailed me and said, do you want to be on the History Channel special Christmas through the decades? I emailed back, does it pay? They emailed me back $500. <laughs> and I said, and I was careful not to reveal that I would have done it for free. And <laughs> yeah, and it was so crazy. I just went to I just as everything in Los Angeles happens. It was just a weird strip mall that had a like weird room in it. And in the weird room, there was a green screen. And I sat in front of the green screen while I was directed by some people who were in New York, uh, who directed me by telephone. <laughs> oh my God. And I went in and, uh, I went in immediately before one of the Brady's. And immediately after Mr. Belding. Wow. And I I believe uh, Will Wheaton was on it. Uh, my friend Mike Pesca from Slate was mm-hmm. uh, was in the mix there. Yeah. I cannot say that I watched the program. I, I love all... First of all, I love all of those History Channel holiday specials. Um, where, where, whether it's the history of Christmas, the history of Halloween, all of those. Uh, it... <laughs> It does beg the question, though, which episode were you doing if you had a Brady and a Belding? Which decade of Christmas was this? So they took me through the Christmas starting in the 1960s. It is my opinion. Mm -hmm. This is a common mistake. I'm 36 years old. Mm -hmm. I think they thought I was 55 because I host an (laughs) NPR show. Because they definitely, they definitely wanted me to be nostalgic about the 1970s, a decade in which I was not alive. 
<laughs> what was it like when you went to uh, Boston College in 1974? Exactly. Tell like, us. That's, they, I got in, and I got in. They aired a bit of me saying something about the pet rock. <laughs> I, I'm more of a Tomogachi man. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm grateful to have been, I'm grateful to have been invited uh, into show business, if briefly. Well, look, as a Tomogachi man, yeah. that would make you a, an expert on all things 1990s. Yeah, yes. I would imagine. Clearly. Not least it's situation comedy. Well, good work, Mark. <laughs> were you, you see, yeah, you see what we're doing? Uh, you're, you're a comedy, uh, fan. You love comedy in addition to having Jordan Jesse go, which is hilarious. Uh, you are like a student of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I was actually just, who was I just talking to, uh, about this with? Maybe Matt Walsh. But like, I was a media comedy nerd before comedy nerd media existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing my show uh, along with Jordan, who does Jordan Jesse Go with me now and our friend Gene since I was 19. The year was 2000. And, you know, some of the first guests that we had on were the cast members of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. Um, so I am a lifelong comedy fan and have dedicated a huge portion of my professional life to making media that is, I mean, I dedicate a huge portion of it to making comedy, but also a huge portion of it to making media that is about comedy, that's about respecting and valuing comedy. And I think, you know, these days, uh, you're likely to hear Louis C.K. or Hassan Minaj on Fresh Air. Um, when I started doing it, there was no WTF. There was no, you know, my friend Matt Belknap, uh, who runs a special thing records and co-hosts, uh, Jimmy Pardo's podcast. Uh, you know, he had a comedy nerd message board called a special thing. Mm-hmm. And I met him literally when it was like, it was like a, a weird, tenacious D message board <laughs> on a, that was like a sub portion of a fan site about Mystery Science Theater 3000 that somehow is connected to a Norm MacDonald news website. Like that's <laughs> There's a lot of crossover deep, in those. Yeah, uh, that's how yeah, deep this goes. Yeah, wow. that's, that's how deep this goes for me. So for a long time. And the 1990s were, for me, the formative years, right? Because I was born in 81. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. from when I was nine years old uh, to 19 years old. And that's when it all happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the 90 – everybody – talks about now and maybe the last 10 years or so as being sort of a golden age of television that we're in because there are so many outlets that are creating original programming, a lot of which is great. But I do think the the 1990s, the, the stylistic uh, fashion choices aside, was a really solid time for really good television. What's There's your a problem lot of with great fashion in the 1990s? Huh? Yeah, I was thinking of it as a golden age of color blocking. <laughs> Listen... <laughs> More than a Gordon Leach of television. In 1991, when I took my class picture for eighth grade, Uh-oh. I wore a pair of black Z Cavaricis with a white Z Cavaricis shirt. I also had a pair of white <laughs> Z Cavaricis with a black Z Cavaricis shirt that my mother bought me so I would be fashionable. I had some dope cross color shorts. <laughs> Did you ever wear any of your clothes backwards? No, I never. I can't claim to have ever worn any of my clothes backwards, but I definitely had some some uh, bold graphic print all over T-shirts. <laughs> what about if you touched it with your hand? Did you have the hyper color ever? Oh, I know that, that would have been a dream. That was the dream. You're talking about rich kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, look, yeah, we were we were rolling in it uh, in in suburban East Tennessee. <laughs> so, what do you think makes a good sitcom? It's I think it's obviously a combination of characters and writing. But is is this the overall premise super important, or do you think that that sitcoms tend to sort of fall into a kind of a bucket together and only a few rise to the top? Sitcoms are a very simple thing, right? Sitcoms are a family which is rent asunder by conflict in some way uh, and then put back together in the course of your 25-minute story, right? Mm -hmm. Your credits, your opening credits establish what the family is. Uh, it establishes the rules of the game. I mean, and they do it with astonishing economy. Um, especially these days, but is they establish these relationships. They establish the situation and the situation comedy and the sitcom's job basically is to, um, respect the love of this family, uh, while also introducing enough conflict to have a story and then, uh, enough resolution to bring everything back to zero at the end. You know, there are, obviously there are sitcoms with continuing narratives, especially these days. Um, you know, things change on sitcoms, whether fast or slowly, but the essential quality of a sitcom is that it reminds us that, uh, the love of a family, whether it's a literal family or a metaphorical family, uh, is the thing that never changes. So the circumstances change, the events happen, but we always return to right, but the family loves each other. And that's true of a, whether it's, as I said, like whether it's a literal family, um, a mother, a father, and some children, or whether it's a group of coworkers or whatever, ultimately they all love each other and that's what the show is about. So to me, a great sitcom is funny in that context. So it gives us, you know, it gives us that feeling that we're craving for, which is that conflicts can be resolved um, and love is what matters and is also funny. And being funny is often, you know, is often about conflict and surprises and things being crazy and so on and so forth. So that's like the special thing that it does, you know, like a farce gets crazier and crazier and crazier until the end. Right. And it's, that can be a beautiful and hilarious thing. Uh, but what's special about the sitcom is that it ultimately reinforces itself and us. Like it's also ultimately a comfort. Right. Like I, I have a friend who, um, who is, she was born in South America, came to the United States as a refugee and she didn't have a permanent home until she was an adult. So her parents were very poor and she, you know, she lived in motels and, you know, every kind of place. Right. And to this day, the thing that she, the thing she needs to go to sleep is one of the sitcoms that she watched as a kid and teenager. Um, oh wow! So she'll watch five episodes of Frasier or whatever in order to fall asleep because that metaphorical home represented for her a person who didn't have a literal home a home. And that's, in my mind, the power of a sitcom. And then the challenge is, and this is the exciting thing about the 1990s, is to make that funny. And there are, there were shows in the 1990s 
that did that in a relatively traditional way in the same way that it had been done for decades before. And there were some that did it in really exciting and innovative ways. Right. So with that in mind, let's, mm-hmm. let's dive in. So Mark and I were figuring out how we're going to settle this particular topic because there are so many choices, such a wide field. So what we've settled on is we are each going to pick a top three and then together we'll collectively winnow that nine down to one. Okay. So since you are the guest. Is this like a draft? We each get to pick, we can't pick the same. We're going to give you the first three picks. So you're going to be, you're the Sixers, the Celtics and the Lakers right now. Okay, well, we need to – I feel very strongly that we need to address something okay, right yes. at the top Let's uh, do it. or else this whole thing is going to fall down upon us. Okay. Uh, the Simpsons. <laughs> Does the Simpsons uh, count? Yes. Because I think a very strong argument – I mean, not to tip my hand, but a strong argument could be made for the Simpsons as the greatest television show of all time. That is a yep. very good point. I, I mean, let's look at what the criteria are. Right. It aired in prime time. Right. Mm-hmm. It was on for all of the 90s. It is about yeah. a nuclear family that yes. we all love. A literal nuclear family. Yeah. Um, it is essentially a ripoff of the seminal sitcom <laughs> that bred all other sitcoms, The Honeymooners. Yes. That is true. So it manages to honor its roots while also breaking new ground. I, I can't imagine we don't count that as a sitcom. Wow. Okay. Well, then I'll go with the I'll, I'll go with uh I'll go with the Simpsons. Okay. Good. Good first choice. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask I'm gonna throw out one more show mm-hmm. that I think is a really special show and I do think is a sitcom, but it's also a very non traditional sitcom. Okay. From the 1990s, that's the Larry Sanders show. That, absolutely. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. It is already on my list. Yes. So I will knock down to whatever is next, <laughs> the yeah. next one down on there. To be fair, we each picked seven, knowing that whoever went after <laughs> you would have probably three of them knocked off. Yeah. La- like, how can Larry Sanders not be on of anybody's course. list of top sitcoms? Again, this is one that could be argued to be the best sitcom of all time. And when you, if, when you look at the work that Gary Shandling did in television with that and it's Gary Shandling show, I mean, the guy, that that alone would cement his legacy as a genius, mm-hmm. aside from all the other stellar work he did in yeah. stand-up and writing. And also, that was the first like HBO show that, that sort of showed what HBO could do. I know that they had always done original programming before. With- I would argue that we didn't really see the true potential of HBO until Arliss came around. That's true. <laughs> That is true. You know, Look, Arliss was like, don't knock Arliss just because it had two dollar signs, Kesha style as its name. It had I insufficient, I would say Larry Sanders, insufficient Dan Marino cameos. <laughs> okay, so my. But it really is, Arliss really is a time capsule of sports though. Yeah. Okay, let's not talk, let's not waste our yeah, time on the talk show about talking Arliss. about Arliss. One glancing, joking reference to Arliss is plenty. <laughs> it's gotten what it deserved. Uh, and then I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave some meat on the bone for you guys. There's some classics that I'm passing over mm-hmm. just because I wanna pick, uh, the show that I think in the 90s, uh, was maybe the most personally important to me, news radio. Sure. Mm. I feel like that's yeah. a show that gets overlooked. And I, part of the reason why maybe is when they made the switch from Hartman to Lovitz because he, Hartman passed away. Right. All of a sudden it felt like uh, they were forced into a situation where they kind of had to bring somebody else in. Not that Lovitz was terrible. Right. But 
it's am I correct in that's a that's a delineation between like Darren one and Darren two on Bewitched? Well, in the uh, being a guy that was around for Bewitched, <sighs> yeah, you we were in college yeah. when that aired. We're we're <laughs> we're about to. I don't know how deep we want to get into these before we start winnowing down, but I will say that as a guy who watched news radio from episode one mm-hmm. through the end on television. Figuring out when it aired each week, which was no mean feat yes. uh, with news radio. Uh, I will say that I love the John Lovitz episodes every bit as much as the Phil Hartman episodes. And, and I don't, I don't mean to speak ill of Phil Hartman, uh, a genuine comic genius. Uh, but I don't think that he was the be all and end all uh, of that show. Um, any more than any of the other brilliant cast members were. And I thought John Lovitz was brilliant on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus there was a really great three episode, uh, arc with Patrick Warburton, um, in that last season that maybe is, maybe are the best episodes that the show ever had. So, uh, I will say that while w- the main thing somebody says if news radio comes up in conversation is, yeah, too bad Phil Hartman died and then they had to do those episodes with John Lovitz. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the Lovitz episodes are every bit as good, uh, despite the fact that Hartman, of course, was brilliant on the show and was a great genius. Okay. That's, I, yeah. Fair. Great. That is a well made point. And that also goes to what you were saying earlier about, uh, about you, you, it's about a family that you find that you love. It's not just one person in that family, and that family does frequently change. And you, I mean, you can't say that it doesn't affect the show somehow because you have lost a fam. No, I mean, that's sort of overblowing it that you've lost a family member, but of your this television show family. Um, so yeah, and that it manages to hold up even after that. So uh, that is a solid, uh, a solid threesome. The Simpsons, the Larry Sanders Show. And news, news radio. radio. Um, Mark? All right, I'll go. Uh, again, I've got some of these already on there, but, uh, I feel like I was talking to Hal about this earlier and I want to approach this from, uh, I know we said the best nineties sitcom, but I would like to throw out a couple that are, I believe to be the most nineties. <laughs> um, and those would of course be, uh, Seinfeld. Frazier and I've got, I mean, there's, uh, there's obvious huge ones, but I'm going to put it also because this one was my era. Uh, I'm 38, uh, home improvement. So those are the three I'm going to go with as the, uh, as the most nineties to me is Seinfeld. That fe- I know it started in the eighties, but that is such barely, barely in the eighties, 1989. Yeah. Right. So a few months when no one was watching it yes. at the very beginning of season one. Um, but yeah, I feel like the nineties sort of happened and that mentality, uh, everything from the clothes they wear to, uh, their cultural impact with yada, yada, yada and the soup Nazi and so much of just pop culture in the nineties came from, uh, that television show. I would dispute that it is the show of the nineties. Okay. But I'm going to presume that Hal will pick the show 
that is the show of the 90s because if he doesn't, this whole thing is going to be tainted and all we will get are angry letters. Thank goodness thank goodness that you put Frasier in there because yeah. God knows the Frasier people are going to oh, be sending oh, us yes. letters sure. one way or another. This, Can, is, this will be known as the episode... This is the one that got all the letters. Yeah. Will you, be what this episode you gets imagine called. Imagine how sweaty their turtleneck collars were as <laughs> they waited to hear if Frazier was going to be mentioned. How can I? Oh dear God. I want to, I want to stipulate to something before okay. you make your choices. Okay. And if you disagree with this stipulation, feel free. Great. Uh, to do so vocally. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at the list here and I see everybody loves Raymond on the list. Yes. I want to take a moment. I feel like Everybody Loves Raymond is a sometimes maligned program. It's a sometimes mm-hmm. laughed about or dismissed program that I think is one of the best, is is probably the best family sitcom of my lifetime. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I would say The Simpsons is a very non-traditional family sitcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, I think it is a brilliant and hilarious show. But I don't see it as a 90s sitcom. I would agree with that. I think it is. What were here? Why wouldn't you see it as a 90s sitcom? What years? You know, it spent half of, it's 96 through 2005. Half of its run was in the 1990s. It certainly started in the 1990s. But I see it as being a generation apart from the shows that we're talking about right right now. I I would agree with that. But it is one of those shows, again, it's maligned. And I, I didn't watch it religiously, but every episode I've seen, I've yet to see a bad episode. Yeah, there was a period where my wife, not long ago, um, maybe five years ago, where my wife was watching, and I think it was when our first child was born, and she just needed something enjoyable to watch. And I watched a lot of them. Um, and what I learned in watching a lot of them was it is a funny, good show. Mm-hmm. It is a smart show. It's real. I, I, so it's a really excellent show. Every single person on it is really funny. I think oh, yeah. outside of the nuclear family on that show, it also has an incredible periphery. Not even that they're peripheral because they're in every episode. But if you think of the nucleus of the family as mom, dad, and kids, the the, uh, the parents, Doris Roberts and Peter Boyle yeah. and Brad Garrett as the brother are three of the funniest most and this goes back to that family thing like all of these characters are you know they, they could they could do that Jack Benny thing where they don't even have to say a word but you know them so well and you know what every look means yeah. uh, they're so well drawn I assume there. that you were about to say <laughs> I assume that you were about to say the the real amazing thing about everybody loves Raymond from my perspective uh which is this is a show that became the most successful comedy on television. A show that was riding the top of the ratings. Uh, everyone was building money pits for their house, mm-hmm. uh, to fill with gold doubloons. <laughs> and they were like, what should we do with our extraordinary success? And the answer came back from all of the executive producers, network executives, so on and so forth was like, let's get Andy Kindler and Chris Elliott involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing sets a television show on fire like Chris uh, Elliott. Even yeah. though uh, Get a Life was, Get a, life a, was a great show. show. Let's like, can we bring in can we bring in the most divisive voices in American comedy? <laughs> the people most likely to alienate ninety five percent of the viewing public. Can we get them involved? 
<laughs> those are two of my favorite people in the entire world. I sure. want to be clear okay, that I'm hilarious. on their side. Yes. But yes. it is amazing to me that they're like, we have this sitcom that is the single most beloved family sitcom for normal Americans in the world. Can we get Chris Elliott in here? Let's get Chris Elliott to kind of creep around the edges. Like, can we have Andy Kindler do a little anti-humor? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm. I are you cool with leaving? Everybody loves Raymond aside for that reason. Yes, one hundred percent. Mark, do you have one more? I have. Well, I also one had uh, Home Improvement. Oh, that's right. List. Home Improvement was your third. Uh, because that, uh, you know, love Tim Allen or uh, loathe Tim Allen. I know for some reason he became very divisive, and I think that's for reasons other than uh, his sitcoms. But he still has one that apparently has been on television for a long time. Uh, that is currently on the air. Um, what is? Oh, it just got canceled. Oh, it Last did. Yeah, very controversially, just got canceled. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a Jack Burdett show who came from Thirty Rock, and it was one of those that uh, that was more for his politics. He was uh, yeah. sort of booted off the network than for any other reason. But yes. let's go back to Home Improvement in the nineties. That made that was a, that was sort of a quintessential show for me in that it was a huge, huge stand-up comic. Gets a television show with a, where they give him a family of all interesting characters, a periphery, a workplace to go to with Al Borland, uh, and I believe it wasn't Pamela Anderson was, on yeah, that show in the was, early. Uh, there was Lisa, Tool Time with Lisa, and then, uh, she might have played Pamela as well. Um, there were a few different, yeah. uh, actresses. But it, it had, I feel like it checked off every box very well, and Tim Allen was such a well-defined voice of that time, and, his his DIY consonant free speech patterns uh, that uh, creeped into the just uh, yeah uh, 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 uh. I I watched and enjoyed that program I'm not yeah. above saying it I mean no, it it, ha- it helped that I was 13 and yes and <laughs> but everyone loves some JTT yeah yeah and that show was an antidote because the the late 80s to early 90s was sort of like the I'd say like the scuzzy when scuzzy comedy ruled like <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay was popular married mm-hmm. with children which was a brilliant uh television series mm-hmm. also was like they were kind of like rude scumbag people Al Bundy was not a nice person mm-hmm. and people like he was a male role model in comedy that character Tim Allen was a family man who loved his children who loved his wife who was sweet and accommodating, even though he played an alpha male type character. So th- that I, I don't know if that show was necessarily the turning point of swinging the pendulum back, but it mm-hmm. did mark a big difference, especially if you watch Tim Allen's comedy specials uh, that got him the show. They're filthy. They're filthy, but he made a clean. He's become a clean family guy. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting demarcation that 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 show has significance. I think in 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 the way comedy was was swinging in that point and probably helping mm-hmm. to to push the momentum back what to his family. Gary uh, Gary Marshall when he did it's sort of like when Gary Marshall made Happy Days and it was like what happened to the nice sweet shows mm-hmm. as an answer to Norman Lear. Yeah, exactly. H Love, what do you got? All right. Well, I have to put Roseanne in. Yeah, because nobody else has. Yeah, for goodness I assume you would put Roseanne in. There. Yeah, that's you. You use me as a safety net. Yeah, I wanna... she's the best TV mom of all time, as determined by this very program. Yeah, that's true, including my wife Teresa. Yes, that's right. That's right. 
but you can't uh, you can't have a discussion of '90s television without talking about Roseanne. So mm-hmm. right, we'll we'll dig into that in a bit later. I ha- I just want to point out that I've written down Full House. I'm not going to put it in as a you finalist. better not put it in. But I will tell you that we talk about resetting back to zero every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, girls. We're learning a lesson. It, look, in terms of quality, oh, I thought you just meant resetting back to zero, as in like at the end of every episode, they're like, remember, guys. This show has zero merit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sweet. I, there was something about it. It was mm-hmm. an escape. It was an escape from anything. Like, yeah. they're just a sweet family who has who does not seem to have any real problems outside of the fact that Bob Saget's wife was dead in the pilot episode. Like, she had mm-hmm. just passed away from, I think, can't, like something serious that was sad. It's but cool. for Cooling real, though, that show is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the it's but it's garbage in the way that a giant ice cream sandwich or ice cream sundae is garbage. It's terrible for you, yeah. but you enjoy it while you're eating it. And I don't. People, th- you might. I not am so mad that they're getting paid to make more of that show. <laughs> yeah, if the original was uh, if the original was an ice cream sundae of garbage, this is the like lone gummy bear with melted ice cream goo on it that's left at the bottom. <laughs> it's like hair. Oh, you can have this gummy bear. That's All the right. new version. I, I also hate Saved by the Bell. I think that's just I, a garbage pile. I loved Saved by the Bell, what? but these that's the thing these are like indulgent shows from when we were kids and it, i was the right age they when they were graduating on television i was a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. so it was like just the right oh is that what it's gonna be like and then saved by the bell the college years which is just wheels off stupid <laughs> I, I like in watching it i wasn't like it's not like the, it's not like the sharp social satire of <laughs> saved by the bell when they're in high school hey i'm so excited i'm so scared everyone remembers that episode don't <laughs> yeah. do the pills listen you've worked with mr belding you of all people should appreciate <laughs> this television show speaking as a guy who <laughs> passed mr belding as he as he left a weird office park <laughs> In North Hollywood. <laughs> uh, you're right. I acknowledge it's brilliance. He's, he's good on the show. I mean, yeah. Les, as with every terrible thing, lots of people did a great job. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Here, here's the second one. Again, this is Larry Sanders, uh, you took, I'm going to say Murphy Brown, I think mm-hmm. is a quintessential, not mm-hmm. only workplace, comedy but had an empowered strong female lead mm-hmm. i mean if you we i remember uh you and i spoke about this last week we were talking about caroline in the city very briefly mm-hmm. where part of the part of the description on imdb is she's so desperate to meet a man she's throwing fruit out her window in the pilot episode like this it's great that leah thompson is super talented mm-hmm. but also that tells you even in the 90s, the women are like, she's got to get her a man. That's her big problem is she's single. Like Murphy Brown is a career woman who – for whom those things are either not a strong consideration or Not until season five anyway. Can right. I ask you guys a serious question about Murphy Brown? Yes. Please. Is it weird to find Candace Bergen very attractive? No. Not at all. Okay, cool. Because somebody was t- – I said something about being into Candace Bergen, and I got a raft of baloney from somebody for it. What? Okay, she's, good. She's like hot, she, fierce. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad to know that. Yes, and her strength makes her even more attractive. It's a great comfort. Yeah. Uh, all right. And for my third – are we going to count friends? You ha- Thank yeah, you. You I have mean, to pick come friends. Come on. Yeah. That is one of my favorite shows of all time. <laughs> my sister would wow. murder us. And it, it uh, oddly, the first season or two, which uh, which created a mania in mm-hmm. popular culture, 
are far from the strongest seasons. I mean, really, I think seasons three through seven are the best seasons of that. What show was their pilot offer. year? 1995, fall okay. of 95. It was a, fr- a freshman year of college and a friend of mine who had gone up to college. He and all of his friends would gather in the dorm common room just to watch friends. That, that was yeah. sort of like the beginning of the end of, of appointment television was, was that show. I'm just not gonna, I'm around. gonna hold off my thoughts on friends because I don't want to bring this whole thing to a screeching halt. But can I go real quick <laughs> through some of these yes. and just tip my hat to a few different shows? I wish Please. you would. Uh, Third Rock from the Sun, don't enjoy the show that much. <laughs> uh, uh- Wait, what do kind of like hat are you tipping? do like the fact that they made like a weird 1965 show, but in 1996. I, Third Rock from the Sun was on my list. Uh, it didn't make it to the top, but I loved. I think that cast is a great cast. I mean, Jane really Curtin, John cast. Lithgow, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ron um, from Second City. Ron West. Ron West. Dr. Ron West. Everybody on, everybody on the show was really excellent. I so I'll tip, I'll tip my cap to them. Yes. I like how, uh, I like how ballsy it was. Uh, I guess Allie McBeal is important in television history. That was not into that. Um, <laughs> uh, Will and Grace, uh, the, the classic tale of, uh, two hilarious best friends and their boring main characters. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think oh, yeah. my main feeling about Will and Grace is and and 2017 is I like to think that in 2017 uh we could make a show where the stars of the show are the funny ones from Will and Grace. Just call and it Jack and Karen. Exactly. Cuz yep. they're both brilliant, they're both very funny and it was not a bad show. The other two are not bad. No. Right. Uh it's just, you know, just a pair of butt abbots. Yeah. King yes. of King of Queens, uh, better than people give it credit for, but probably doesn't belong in the conversation, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. too late in the nineties, I think. Dream on. I like that it had nudity. It was on my yeah. list. Naked, naked sitcom. Love that yeah. about it. But also, Wendy Malick was in that show. Denny yeah. Dillon was great. Courtney Cox was on that show. Yes, and Brian Benben was great. Brian Benben was great. Denny but like Dillon for real, was I was like eleven years old. So the fact that there was a television show, a TV comedy with boobs in it, yeah, give yeah. me a break. Uh, <laughs> Cheers, not a 1990s sitcom. I think we can all agree, right? Yeah. Like yes. well, maybe one of the great, greatest television shows of all time. Yes. Uh, holds up, by the way. I, I watched a ton of Cheers in the last five years, and mm. it, it is a joy to watch now. Best pilot of a sitcom uh, ever. Brilliant show. Married with Children, really interesting, bold show with a lot of great performances, a lot of good stuff, some less good stuff, but not in the league of the other things that we're talking about here. Um... I feel like uh, Martin is a hugely important show yeah. that we're kind of leaving out. Yeah. Um, it is also not a uniformly excellent show. Right. Uh, it's a show led by a literally mentally ill genius <laughs> mm-hmm. um, who, you know, alienated his co-star over the course of the making of the film to the point where, like, she was borderline physically afraid of him from of what I've read. Of the show or of one of his movies? Uh, of the show. Of the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I read an oral history of uh, Martin not that long ago. Oh. But, like, uh, to this day, you know, it's 2017. Uh, when you talk about the 1990s as the golden age of television, one of the things that it genuinely was the golden age of was African American scripted television. Sure. Uh, the emergence. Family Matters? Yeah, exactly. Great, the, uh, black yeah. sitcom. I wouldn't characterize it as great, but another black <laughs> sitcom. 
Um, gave us Urkel. Uh, the, uh, but like that was the last time that there was a significant amount of African American themed scripted programming on television. Even now in this like majestic world of 10,000 television shows, there's very, very little African American cast programming. And there are some real great standouts. Um, but when you consider like that was some of the first, especially some of the first that was largely being run by black people. Um, living single as well. And living single as well. Yeah. I think living single is like the, is like the other fruit on that branch. Yeah. Um, two, uh, two pretty good shows. Northern Exposure is a fun show. Uh, but it's not a great show. I watched it as an adult and it is more, it's one of those shows that in the age of network television got a lot of points for being somewhat different. Yes. But was not, extraordinarily great it is still an enjoyable show with some good performances and stuff but like there was a time when if you were a tv critic you just were so sick of watching the same show over and over that if anything was not that show you were like oh my god this isn't the same show yes it's not a a comedian not a schlubby comedian and a beautiful wife yeah exactly um dinosaurs it was really important to me as a little kid i watched it every week but it's basically less good simpsons um (laughs) let's i mean like realistically i'm that's not to put it down what isn't less good than simpsons but yeah exactly uh boy meets world is the kind of nostalgic garbage that i hate hearing about in 2017 (laughs) um I'm not that that was a network show. I thought it was a Disney channel. It was an ABC show. Not that any of those people are bad or I've, I've met Ryder Strong. He's really smart. He's got a very good, good, good good book podcast, a talented, uh, you know, uh, sure. Of course I had a crush on Topanga, but that doesn't make it a good show. (laughs) Uh, Ellen is important for the reasons that it was important, but it was was also like a B quality show at yeah. best. She right. has an A show now. Yeah, she's brilliant at what she, she, is she, is, she, is, she is. She is herself. She is spectacularly she's brilliant. brilliant at uh, what she does now. Mad About You is a show that I think is un, uh, is uh, more forgotten than it should be. I think a yeah. really strong, genuinely pretty sophisticated, especially for network television, uh, sitcom with two really brilliant leads. Um, but again, I don't think it's going to beat the Simpsons or something. Yes. Uh, whatever our top seeds are. And the Drew Carey show was fine. <laughs> I guess my, that was, that was such lip service to Drew Carey. No, and it's fine. It's a fun, it was a perfectly fun, funny show. No, uh, no. and I also, I'm going to give you a controversial positive Uh-oh. opinion. I think Fran Drescher is really funny. Uh, I don't think I necessarily want to watch the nanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an adult, especially. <laughs> no, but was, I think Fran Drescher's a talented, funny lady. I loved her in UHF, the Weird Al movie. Yeah, there you go. You there know you what? Go. It's Pamela Finkelstein. <laughs> the Nanny is one of those trolley shows where you hop on for a little while, then you hop off, and mm-hmm. you appreciate the small ride you had, but you may never ride that trolley ever again, and you'll be yeah. fine with it. Yeah. All right. So there we go. We've got our final nine. So we have, yes, we have our... Individual final three that have become our final nine. Yes. Uh, And I just want to say, all you Dharma and Greg fans can suck a lemon. Yeah, (laughs) both of you. Take that, Dharma and Greg. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. You you identified the two Dharma and Greg fans. That's them. We got them. Um, So let's take a look at this. We Why don't we come up with our collective top three, and then we'll pick from among those. Uh, By the way, uh, Living Single... I remember I have to give extra special shout out to Living Single because uh it was sort of 
friends before friends happened. Friends just made white living single and it became the hugest show of all time. So, uh, yeah. I so, can I ask, speaking of the celebrity crushes, yes. is it cool for me to have a crush on Queen Latifah? Yes. Absolutely. She My doesn't, goodness. she doesn't want, not only does she not want to have any romance with me because she's 20 years older than me, uh, <laughs> and she's, uh, extraordinarily rich. And I believe she's in a happy, committed relationship with a woman. <laughs> yes. Um, but I would, if she's interested and I'm divorced or something, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, just holler at me, Queen Latifah. Right on. I think you're fine. <laughs> Slide into his DMs. I was just watching. I just, right. I just watched. Uh, I just watched the movie Juice today, mm-hmm. and uh, she's got a little part in that. And I was thinking, like, you know what, Queen Latifah's fine. She is, one hundred percent. Oh man, oh, when you're good to Mama, Mama's good to you. Speaking yeah. of Queen Latifah, real quick, mm-hmm. one more show we have to tip our caps to or we're going to get in trouble is the fresh prince of bel-air oh yes, yes. how did we miss fresh prince i almost you want to talk it, about the theme song yeah economy of words boy does that give you a lot of exposition i mean i in particular would be in huge trouble if we didn't talk about the fresh yeah prince being of in a philadelphia 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 yeah that is a source of national pride however i'm going to drop some some of my patented npr smug ar- arrogance on you guys. okay okay obviously uh, Will Smith is one of the most likable screen performers to ever cross our screens. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other really brilliant performances in that show, particularly. Uh, however, and, uh, and I understand the cultural significance for people, especially if you're African American. Um, but just if you, the kind of fond memories that people have of a show that they watch as a kid or a teenager, I understand why you would have fond memories of it. It's not a good show. I mean, it's a good show. It's better than most shows. Yeah, and mo- right. and even the worst show on network television is a remarkable artistic achievement. I want to make it clear that I genuinely believe that. Yes. However, it's not that dope of a show. Don't tell me about how great it was because it wasn't great. It was just – a. It was, it was somewhat important and Will Smith is a genius. And but, I had that dance the Carlton. Yeah. Mm. The, all those things are great things. But like at the end of the day – it's still Andy Borowitz giving you Andy Borowitz stuff. It's mm-hmm. the Borowitz report with an African American <laughs> family. <laughs> and like when people say, like, can you believe that Andy Borowitz, creator of the Borowitz report, the thing that your aunt and uncle post on your Facebook feed, uh, was also the creator of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? I'm like, yes, both are very corny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with that assessment 100%. I'm allowed to say that because he could crush me. Like right yeah. now, he could place one call to uh, Washington, D.C., get NP- the president of NPR on the line and be like, hi, this is Andy Borowitz from the New Yorker's The Borowitz Report. <laughs> Kill Jesse Thorne. <laughs> and Cokie Roberts would come after me with a knife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Well, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break to hear from some of the other great shows on the Max Fun Network. And when we come back, we will winnow the nine down to three, down to one, and have our best 90s sitcom. And I'm very curious about what was held off about Friends by Jesse (laughs) Thorne. We're going to get into that when we come back. Don't worry. I'll be there for you. Well, hoopity-dop-dop, scoopity-dee-dop, hoopity-dabity-doopity-hoopity-hoop. Whoopity doo doo doo, 
Rabbity, hey, hey. Hoobity, ha, it's a papa doo. Baby, doo 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 ba da 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 Stop podcasting yourself. We don't even know anymore. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you download your podcast. Gage McFadden, Marina Sirtis. Larissa Inbatour. LeVar Burton, Patrick Stewart. Look like movie stars. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else is like, you should just be on TV. <laughs> sort of like uh, when podcasters do this live. Yeah. Then the greatest generation is going... Back out on tour. We're taking a, a new show out on tour about Star Trek First Contact. And whether or not you're a Star Trek fan, I think you're going to love this live show. You come to our live show, you get Star Trek jokes. You get fart jokes. The whole gamut. So come on out. It's bit.ly slash ggtour2017. That's bit.ly slash ggtour2017. All right. Fess up. What's this friend's junk? What do you? Are you going to... Send some snaps or burns. I don't know what kids say. Dude, Friends is whack. What? what? Have you seen that show? I've seen okay, all of it. Okay, let me see. Did you just say that as Chandler on purpose? I want to no, know. Okay, so I'm a, I'm going to give you some points about Friends, okay? Okay. Uh, I'm going to say there are some really good performances on Friends. There are a couple of great performances on Friends, so I don't think anyone who tells you anything other than that Lisa Kudrow is a brilliant genius mm-hmm. is a monster. Uh, but like, I I feel like the thing that I so some people they can't let go of the idea that Boy Meets World is actually a good show, right? What I can't let go of is the culture war between Friends fans and Seinfeld fans. The idea mm. that Friends and Seinfeld came on the same night uh, and some people would w- watch Friends but not watch Seinfeld remains – it. like I am getting mad right now <laughs> thinking about it. Like I so deeply can't – like the only other thing that I so deeply and passionately but completely irrationally believe is that as a native San Franciscan, I believe that there's something fundamentally evil about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like there's <laughs> there's nothing else that I like is, is it so Ravine? closely <laughs> yeah there's like so closely held in my heart so close to like my my personal identity right is that friends is bullshit for people who just like cute haircuts instead of jokes and Seinfeld is a brilliant genius work of art. Well, and as an adult, I can like look at it and be like, "Oh, sure, Lisa Kudrow is brilliant." You know, yeah. I, I can look at it and say Jennifer Aniston is uh, underrated as an artist. I think she's a really brilliant actress. I can look at it and say, but the rest of the cast all do a great job. Um, I can say Aisha Tyler went to my high school, <laughs> and I'm glad that it made her a famous person. You're gonna put that on the record. Good, good yeah. for her. There was a, that was a lot of facts and one opinion. Yep. But like, uh, it's whack, dude. Well, do you guys I, not think it's here's whack? What think, here's no. what I think it did so beautifully. Wait, Mark, and you haven't watched it. I've watched. I've watched. We were gonna do. I haven't watched friend. every episode of Friends Wait, like can, you have. Hold on. A hold second. on. Let me finish my thought. You are not. Yes, finishing. I am finishing okay, my thought. Fine, go ahead. Um. The thing that Friends did, I think, was in this world, like in this world of 
family shows that are, uh, you know, about a nuclear family. This show, it hit in a way that at a time, it seems to me like, and maybe, and this was as I was coming into adulthood, uh, was when this show was most popular. It seems like it said, this can be your family and that's okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like six friends, that is, we're counting that as a family now. And I think that did something for relationships among young people. Well, you which know, I wasn't but the here's the thing. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. But I think that what it does essentially is institutionalize a kind of privilege, uh, to live a kind of stakesless life. Um, and not be what's the word I'm looking for? Funny. <laughs> wow. Well, the problem is I had this oh. really passionate argument against friends that I started making in that last sentence, and mm-hmm. then I realized that everything I was talking about also applied to Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, but then it's I was all so about so then people in, being privileged. Yeah. Look, so, all of television is an Edward Albee play. And like yeah. to be fair, as much mess as uh, as much mess as uh, Friends gets for being like uh, white people, white peopling, and like being kind of racist. Uh, I watched all of Seinfeld again, uh, five years ago and I was like, hmm, I didn't remember this being so racist. Yes, yes, um, yes. But, uh, Seinfeld is funny. Yeah. Uh, here's what I'll say. I'm willing to, cause we're gonna have to drop some of these. I will pull friends out because I don't think of it as a quintessential 90s sitcom. I think it exists in its own sort of, it, it exists in rarefied air the way that Seinfeld exists in, in rarefied air, and that you don't talk about it as you remember the '90s. You, it just it feels to, to the people who enjoy it, it feels as fresh and 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 as funny and enjoyable now as it did then. So it's not it's not even a memory of times gone by. It's that's it's but that's just strange because to my mind, Friends defines. I think it was not Seinfeld, but Friends that defined the sitcom of the 1990s. Like by the time Everybody Loves Raymond came on, which is the mid 90s, right? Isn't barely even the late 90s. Uh, it was a throwback just for being about a family and being an actual show for actual grownups mm-hmm. in part. Um, I think like the the torrential. The torrential ocean wave, the tsunami of crappier friends, uh, sure. of the 1990s yeah. is like the dominant television trope of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides, I guess, like law and order. Like, yes. the, there's just this <laughs> river of crappy versions of friends and friends is, I think, to its credit, uh, the best version of that thing that it is. Um, sure. like I, as I said, I th- think you, you have six cast members. They're all good looking. They're all funny. Um, they like their social interactions genuinely captivated America. Uh, their haircuts really did define what haircuts we yeah. picked at the time. Yeah. It is a success in all of those ways that matter. It did determine, but like, the legacy of friends is it controlled television for the worse for the next 10 to 15 years. There's still people getting TV shows because they wrote on friends. Right. Yeah. That's true. 
Okay. Um, no, I'd say that the TV show that did television for the worst for 15 years was Fear Factor. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. That also ruined live shows at Universal Studios, <laughs> California, and Florida. But, right. but I respect, I respect the, the, I, I, I understand and respect what is special and good about Friends. Yes. I just don't want to stand with that. That's okay. not the That's hill the I, I, I would, I would never want to die on that hill mm-hmm. when I had other choices that to my mind are dramatically better okay huge gulf can i tell you something controversial what's that oh you don't like seinfeld i I think seinfeld is just fine it's okay it's fine so you like friends more than seinfeld uh i've seen more of friends every time i see seinfeld i'm like oh yeah genuinely disappointed it's fine it's not like yeah i mean because as i said like I understand that this is not a rational thing. I understand it's not a decent thing. I understand, <laughs> frankly, that Friends is a more humane show than Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and maybe I should be, I should like it for almost for moral reasons. Yeah. <laughs> However, ended with their uh, their inhumanity sending them to prison. Uh, yeah. So I like, mean- but but at the end of the day. I think you need to pick teams, and if you pick the friends team, what is wrong with you? Here's why. <laughs> I will tell you why. Because uh, with friends, I have an there's an investment in friends. If you right. enjoy the show, you are invested in the characters, and and to to their credit, over the course of ten years, they actually grow and change. They don't reset to one every single episode. Seinfeld. They are exactly the same people at the end that they were at the beginning. There's the no lessons. Are, That's the rule. Very well written. Seinfeld will be the first, second, and third person to tell you he is no actor, and it is apparent he's able to deliver jokes well. Obviously, he's one of the best of all time at that, but he is buoyed by the best supporting cast in terms of star to supporting cast ratio, probably the best of all time in that they carried him to 10 seasons of that show. Well, I am not as Jerry Seinfeld's acting hater. Uh, I mean, I understand. I wouldn't cast yeah. Jerry Seinfeld I mean, I in my production of On the Waterfront. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I think he, I think he does a perfectly good job. I would say that while I just said there was plenty of good people plus Lisa Kudrow on Friends. Yes. Um, I would say that, like, it is impossible to diminish how spectacularly good the supporting cast of Seinfeld are. And sure. frankly, when yeah. you say supporting cast, it's an ensemble. They each yep. have, you know, arguably you could say Kramer has a little bit less of a role than the other three. He's a little bit more of a supporting player. Yeah. But all four of those are leads, and three of those four leads are as good as anyone has ever been on a television show. And you okay. mentioned before um, that the characters never changed over 10 years. Uh, I saw a great interview with Michael Richards where he talked about Kramer. And uh, here is one way in which a character on that show did change. Kramer became super racist. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, look, that, well, we've eliminated, we've eliminated people for, uh, less. That's true. Sorry, um, go ahead. But, uh, no, he said about halfway through the run of the show, uh, he had spent the first few seasons of Seinfeld, uh, working under the assumption that Kramer was a step behind the rest of the world. And about halfway through the run of the show, he decided, no, Kramer is a step ahead of the rest of the world. And you can see that shift when Kramer starts, when, when you're like, okay, this guy's onto something. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said Kramer is onto something. Right. I'm losing my mind. That's beautiful. Yeah. However, how? Yes. 
I will say that we've included the Simpsons in this conversation. Mm -hmm. We've included Larry Sanders in this conversation. I have so much deep gratitude to Seinfeld for being the last truly great show that everyone watched. Mm -hmm. Um, the f like it's impossible to overstate how astonishing it is that tens of millions of people watched Seinfeld, mm -hmm. um, which was a, in my opinion, a brilliant show. Yep. And that has never happened since, you know, Raymond is the closest and even Raymond had, you know, two thirds of the audience and was two thirds as good. Um, so like that's an incredible, astonishing achievement, but I am not prepared to defend Seinfeld over The Simpsons and Larry Sanders. And I would say particularly because I would say in rewatching it, I was surprised at how well it hold up, held up comedically. I really enjoyed it, but, um, it does, it, the racism bummed me out. So the part, the thing that I objected to, and it's partly structural in the show, is that everyone outside of these characters is essentially a caricature. Everyone else besides the main characters is a cartoon character representing kind of the cartoonish craziness of their context, which is New York, right? Yeah. But all of the people of color are essentially defined by their ethnicity. Um, they're uh, defined by kind of broad brush, you know, yeah. You're very, very bad man, Jerry Seinfeld, like mm -hmm. whatever, broad brush depictions of their ethnicity. And in watching it again, it's very hard to watch. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen, have you guys ever seen this show, a uh, one man show called Jails, Hospitals and Hip Hop, Danny Hawk? No. So Danny Hawk is a brilliant, brilliant actor, white guy, um, who founded the New York Hip Hop Theater Festival, uh, which is a huge festival. Um, and he's a brilliant, brilliant performer. One of the only, one man show people I've ever been able to tolerate at all. I think he's on like a medical procedural right now. He's been on a variety of kind of New York based. I remember when he was doing his one man shows. I think he did some time in Chicago while I was there. Yeah. I mean, he is a genuinely brilliant theater performer. One of those ones where you see it live and you're just, you just left with your breath taken away. And you can watch on YouTube in his show, Jails, Hospitals, and Hip Hop, he tells this story about being cast on Seinfeld. And he gets cast as, uh, he gets cast as the pool boy in the, in the pool boy episode. I think it's, I'm trying to, I feel like it's George is peeing in the shower. Mm -hmm. I think that's that episode. Yep. Been a long gym. time. Yeah. yeah. And he gets cast as a pool boy and he says throughout his first couple of days on set, uh, he keeps getting encouraged to do it more broad and ethnic. Like they want him to do a big Latino accent. And there's a point where he just, where he literally says, well, how would you feel if I did it with a big Israeli accent? Um, and they're like, okay, well, you're fired. <laughs> um, oh, and he wow. got, he got cut from the show because he, he's like, he said, you know, like, well, just because his name is Raul doesn't mean that he has to be, uh, he, he has to be, you know, Speedy Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. And he got fired from the show. And, he he tells in a very empathetic way that it wasn't it's not about people being you know like most racism it's not about people being monsters it's just about people f not thinking beyond their own experience and thinking about how this would resonate for somebody else um and so like that's the reason that to me in hindsight i would say 8 out of 10 
for Seinfeld or nine out of 10 for Seinfeld rather than 10 out of 10 for Seinfeld. And I say that as somebody for whom it was like immensely important when I was a kid. So let me, let me make a proposal here because, because we're pretty far along in the episode at Mm -hmm. this point. Yeah, I'll do it. One million dollars. Great. Drop trow. (laughs) <laughs> thank you that's enough for this episode robert redford folks. thank you for coming on our show i'm gonna make that cheddar um i do we all agree the simpsons should be in the top three yes do yeah. we all agree that larry sanders should be in the top three yes yeah uh is there any i feel like we just had our bronze medalists our two contenders yeah. for bronze is, would be friends and seinfeld and both have been uh given their due and eliminated and i feel like we may just be down to gold and silver now yeah, That's I, what I think. I, I'm on board. I'll say, I'll say my piece for news radio. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that I can get some credit since I've upset so many people already. Yeah. <laughs> get them back. Win them back. This is going to do it. Um, I, I, news radio was an immensely important show to me because it was the one show on television at the time. I didn't have cable. Um, it was the one show on television at the time that like represented a really smart, off kilter, unusual, perspective um in an office sitcom that otherwise was relatively traditional context right Mm -hmm. and um as brilliant as the simpsons is it did it in the context of a cartoon and so that's why they were allowed to do those things right and the fact that news radio news radio felt like it was my show when when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and so i will always love it for that reason shout out to everybody in alt.tv.newsradio um (laughs) Oh, uh, it is not. Standards. It is not surprising, though, that a fellow who went on to work for National Public Radio was a fan of the television show News Radio. <laughs> not a lot of radio-centric storylines on News That's Radio. True. I'll be clear. But boy, yeah. when I would say in the booth just reading. Yeah, <laughs> boy, those were fun bits. More, mm-hmm. more episodes probably about the cast somehow transported to space than the cast doing anything <laughs> actually radio-related. Um, but yeah, I love that. I will also say. I will also drop my one thing, my one last incendiary smoke bomb. Okay. Before we move on to the grand finale. Let's do it. Um, David Hyde Pierce and Kelsey Grammer are in the greatest upper echelon of sitcom actors. Mm-hmm. They're both brilliant and were spectacular on oh, Frasier. I can just hear the hammer I can hear raising but. up. Somewhere, it's the only word I'm hearing right now. Somewhere right now, not even while you are listening, but while we are talking, Matt Myra has started to sweat. <laughs> and also, somewhere right now, it is 947 on the East Coast. David Hyde Pierce is on stage singing in Hello, Dolly right now. <laughs> and he's doing a great job. Because no, oh, wait. No, brilliant. it's Monday. They're dark Mondays. Okay. Uh. But... uh but I just want to say that, like, Frasier is a good show, not a great show. Okay. I think the – and I, the not reason – for a spinoff. The reason – it's brilliant for a spinoff. And, yeah. you know, as I say, the two genuinely brilliant performances and some other really good performances. Um, but, like, I th- the thing that I don't like about Frasier, the one thing that I – and especially at the time that I didn't like about Frasier is that people were like – Oh, you know, Frasier is, uh, it's like a sitcom for intellectuals because they talk about wine and glancingly allude to philosophers' <laughs> names. 
and that never nothing could have made me more mad as a news radio loving teenager mm. to be like no there's a actual smart sitcom and i don't mean that <laughs> fraser was dumb no, right. fraser was of above average smartness for a sitcom and it is a really good show that i would enjoy watching i would enjoy sitting down and watching an episode with you guys right now let's in fact it. let's take time out to do that now right uh, but like <laughs> but like it won every emmy it was at the top of every dumb tv critics list because it was the kind of it was the kind of like tip your cap to smartness mm-hmm. that does not actually represent smartness. And that upset me very much. And again, I don't mean that it was dumb. I just being sophisticated is something other than saying things that rich people do. Yeah. I, let me say <laughs> in, in defense of Frazier, no, I don't, the intellectual stuff is fine. I, I get it. I, I don't like that either. I don't like that there's an air about the show. However, it maintained. A superior level of quality for an incredibly long time. It didn't end because it was bad. I think it ended uh, partially because it got so expensive to make because they had to keep paying those yeah. that cast more and more money because I they mean, keep having to go to Seattle to shoot. Yeah, right. They, I don't yeah, know how, they I don't know how some stages work. Yeah, they, they shot it live. That's why uh, it's a living didn't last for that long because <laughs> that revolving restaurant needed to sell food. Uh, okay, so we're down to but a, a great show, but not nearly as great as these other shows. No, these two are the top. Roseanne is a great show. Oh, Roseanne uh, is a, a wonderful show. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is it, it, it a weird sure. mess sometimes, yes. but a yeah. wonderful show. But that was show. that's sort of what was great about it. And that, that and that this show has paid mad respect to yeah. Roseanne. So, I don't know if we can have both thorns on the show and pick Roseanne yeah. for both episodes. Yeah, it's sort of but uh, <laughs> really the the gold and silver are going to be between the Simpsons and Larry Sanders and show. I feel like just looking at those two um, if I may, it seems there is one that is, if we take into account all factors, quality, but also impact, um, and sitcomness of a thing. Yes. Um, I feel like the edge in this, uh, we, well, we have to give the edge to the Simpsons because they do have that nuclear family. They are on a broadcast network and we're seeing, through the entirety of the 90s and to this day um while the Larry Sanders show was an insanely brilliant slice of a world and a and a look at late night television it was it was a love letter to late night tv in the way that the simpsons is a love letter to the sitcom i w- i, I l- l- let me say this for larry sanders mm mm-hmm. Because it's going to be hard not to pick The Simpsons, right? For the reasons that you outlined. Yeah, um, I've watched the Larry Sanders from the beginning to the end three times. Um, not bragging, guys, <laughs> but I have a I have a pretty full dance card. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think the the most special thing to me about Larry Sanders. Is, you know, there are these things, and I just wrote a piece for Bullseye about Larry Sanders. I, I think there are things that people talk about with Larry Sanders that are inessential to what makes it actually special. While they're really interesting, great things, they're inessential to what it makes, makes it actually special. So there are these, uh, meta elements, celebrities coming on as themselves, uh, and satirizing themselves in addition to the, uh, sort of, 
multi-layered structure of the whole thing. It's a show about a show and they show the actual show and they shot the actual show as an actual show, um, you know, on video and then used clips of an actual studio production and that kind of thing. Yeah. All those things are really interesting and cool and they work great on the show. Uh, they're really funny. Uh, none of them, to my mind, are the thing that makes Larry Sanders a genuinely, exceptionally remarkable show. And the thing that makes it, in my mind, a show that I could put up against the other greatest serial video entertainments of all time, you know, put up with The Wire, is that it is the, it is, in my mind, the only show that has achieved that level of dramatic success that it has had that level of I don't want to say verisimilitude because it is not a purely realistic show mm -hmm. but it has achieved that level of success as a grounded emotionally driven drama right and also been as brilliantly funny as it is. Mm -hmm. Every joke on Larry Sanders, every storyline on Larry Sanders by fiat of its star is driven by genuine deep human emotion. Mm -hmm. And while there have been a few dramatic shows that I think have been as compelling as dramatic shows, and those shows have in some cases been funny, you know, like, uh, there's, there's funny stuff that happens on the wire. Mad Men is very funny and is a brilliantly compelling dramatic show for me. Um, I don't think that any comedy has ever had those consistent emotional stakes mm -hmm. and delivered on them so consistently from beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, Freaks and Geeks, a show that in many ways grew out of Larry Sanders, is also similar, but it's, you know, that's a, you know, you're, you're extending the graph line out a lot right. if you're going to count <laughs> Freaks sure. and Geeks, the whatever, 10 episodes or whatever it is that there are. Yeah. Um, and that's also an hour long show. I think that there's never been a more emotionally compelling half hour comedy program mm -hmm. than the Larry Sanders show. And it's also so funny. Well, you're also, and I think that that's not only the writing on the show and, uh, Gary Shandling, but you've got, I mean, Jeffrey Tambor and Rip Torn yep. Yep. are legendary actors. Jeffrey Tambor teaches in Los Angeles. He's an act along with being brilliant on transparent. He's, uh, like he is, that is his thing is his deep well of emotion for shows. And I think, I, a long time ago, I had an acting teacher tell me, and I loved it, said, it, yes, there's always got to be a who, what, where, when, why, but it's always about the who. That's everything. It's regardless of what it is. It's always about the who. And, um, yeah, the, Larry Sanders has this meta stuff, but it's, it's those relationships. It's, uh, Gary Shandling and Jeffrey Tambor having that, that relationship that the two of them had. And, and I think for me, not to bring it back to The Simpsons, but that is why The Simpsons ultimately, I think, wins out because the who on The Simpsons, while it is deep and like real and intense, these characters on Larry Sanders, you have such a sense of this wide, wide world of The Simpsons. You know who everyone in Springfield is. But I think that is one of the gifts of animation. 
That's so true. I think the greatest gift. So, you know, if you talk about comic art in general, mm-hmm. uh, or just illustration, right? Uh, the most basic build, basic building block of animation, um, its greatest gift is to, t- is to abstract something in order to make it feel more specific, right? Mm-hmm. That you can create a, you know, you can, you can see in that, bar mitzvah caricature of a 13 year old boy everything that is essential about him in mm-hmm. those eight lines right? right so that is the gift that is given by the fact that it is an animated show um you know if chief wiggum was if those six lines metaphorically speaking that represent chief wiggum were in a live action show, you would not accept them in the same way. So it is a different playing field to some extent. Right. But, but that being said, what The Simpsons does really well, that is very difficult to capture in animation and wasn't really being done, at least on television at that point, is nuance. And, and a lot of that comes through in the writing of it and the way that they craft each frame. So you get a full range of emotion in a in a way that's very difficult for 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 animation especially at that time to capture so and honestly you i was sort of wavering back towards larry sanders show as you were mentioning it but i feel like at this point it's kind of hard not to pick the simpsons Mm -hmm. do we do we all agree on that you're asking me I love The Simpsons. I've been, I've been rewatching The Simpsons in my, I have three children, uh, five and under. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of days that end in 20 minutes of time that just have to deliver something happy. Right. And, you know, <laughs> when sometimes you're worried that Kimmy Schmidt is going to do one of those episodes that's about the dangers of PC culture. <laughs> right. And, you know, you're not emotionally prepared for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, then you just watch The Simpsons, right? Right. Um, it, like, if you said to me, what's your favorite television show of all time? I'd probably tell you Larry Sanders. Um, and, I mean, the, the emotion in The Simpsons is very different. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is. It is a... The emotion is a very middle of the road. It is not challenging emotion, although it is genuine. Um, it's not surprising. It represents the kind of classic values of the sitcom in a way. I think that's a, the James L. Brooks influence. Mm-hmm. You know, James L. Brooks is the most brilliant middle brow creator of yeah. American comedy. You know, like I love broadcast news to the end of the world and back. Sure. Um, but you know, his influence is to say like, Hey, remember, it's a family that loves each other. Hey, remember, it's a family that loves each other. Hey, remember, let's make this about how the family loves each other. Which you began this episode with that being the definition. Yeah. And boy, howdy, is The Simpsons funny. Yeah. Yes. The Simpsons is so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Let me have news flash to listeners of this podcast. Oh, man, The Simpsons is funny. Um, <sighs> I watch an episode of The Simpsons. I just think like, man... That is funny. Yeah. This is a really funny show. Do you, have you guys heard of this show, The Simpsons? Uh, one final question though, that just not to, just to throw another wrench into the thing. If this episode that we are here to determine is the best 90s sitcom, 
Is The Simpsons too timeless for that? Here's why I think it's not. I thought because you were about to say, is it Simpsons 2 1989 yeah, for that? Yeah, it's to which I would say, yeah. eat my shorts. Oh, yeah. cowabunga, dude. <laughs> Let's all do the Bart Man. Uh, I, I, here's why I say no. I think that mm. the, if you look at a show that's been on the air for 28 years now, I would argue that the period of the greatest quality of that show was the 1990s. That's mm-hmm. almost, almost any main real memorable moment you have from The Simpsons, whether mm-hmm. it's Monorail, Streetcar Named Marge, sure. uh, the emergence of Sideshow Bob, all of that came to in the 90s. Doesn't mean it's not a good show now, but... can I? How can I tell you what yeah. the high watermark is? Please. Call Mr. Plow. That's my name. That name <laughs> again is Mr. Plow. <laughs> it's not even really a joke. Nope. I don't even know what it is. Why do I think about it so much? Oh, it's so great. Because this, because the Simpsons. That's yeah. why. I think it's the winner. I think you're right. Well, congratulations to the Simpsons. A, yeah. a real underdog story. <laughs> People of the world from the slums of Fox primetime before it was even really a network rose. I'm, oh. I mean, as much, yeah, I feel like as yeah. much as you can argue, and I just did passionately and wholeheartedly, that yes. Larry Sanders is a special gem that may never be equaled. As much as you can argue that Friends is the people's champion, the show that everyone loves because mm-hmm. it's about friends that are friendly with each other <laughs> and very attractive. Listeners, yes. did you hear the eye roll? Um, <laughs> as much as, uh, Seinfeld was the last great live action television show that everyone watched, um, and, you know, gave everyone permission to make It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, as much as all of those things are true, it would be hard to say that The Simpsons isn't the greatest television show of all time. And there's nothing funnier. There's nothing that more deeply embodies the values of the sitcom. And there's nothing that has like changed the face of all of our lives, all of entertainment that came during that 10 year period. And that 10 year period was the time when it did it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Yeah. A little bit racist. Not yeah. that racist. Yes. Not well, racist only... enough to be bumped. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Not it even, all... not even enough to dock it. Yeah. Sorry, Hari Kundabolu. <laughs> you're still my, you're still my buddy, but I can't even get <laughs> knock off half a point for a poo, even though a poo is a little, it's a little broad. Yes. Oh, uh, well, there you a go. A lot broad. Asked and answered. Simpsons greatest sitcom of the nineties. Thank you. Long Google it for your suggestion. And thank you, Jesse, for coming on the show. So you've got Bullseye. You've got Jordan Jesse go. And now the turnaround is available. Uh, tell everybody about the turnaround. Oh, this is a new show that I created because I felt like a, not enough people were speaking out against short Google it. Thank you um, for your work. Your bravery <laughs> does not go unnoticed. I, so as probably a lot of people who listen to the show know, I host an interview show, uh, that's distributed by NPR called Bullseye. And I interview many brilliant comedy people that you would love, uh, if you're listening to this show. However, um, I, I have just launched this new show called The Turnaround, which is only running this summer, Maximum Fun Show. It's going to be twice a week, and it's conversations with the world's greatest interviewers. So I've been doing this show, as I alluded to. I've been doing Bullseye since I was 19 years old, and I never went to journalism school. I never even had a job as a journalist or a job doing anything other than this or uh, 
like actual jobs. <laughs> I had a lot of actual jobs, but I had no job where I was like a producer on fresh air or something like that. Right. And so this was like my journalism school. So it's, uh, everyone from, uh, from Terry Gross of fresh air to Maybe the greatest interview uh, of all time. Exactly. I, Ira Glass, who's the first episode, the kind of classic public radio people you might expect yeah. to folks like Larry King and Katie Couric, Werner Herzog, Jerry Springer. Wow. Um, I learned on the show, the Jerry Springer episode is really great. He's a really fascinating guy. Jerry Springer does not know what a given episode of his show is going to be about when he walks out on stage. Wow. <laughs> he walks out on stage, brings the guests on and says, so tell me your story. And then the rest of the show is him reacting to that story. Wow. That's awesome. Anyway, it's full of stuff like that. I also talked a lot with Katie Couric about different words for fart. Ooh, perfect. It's something for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you again for, for coming on the show and joining us. Well, thank you guys. And thank you guys for being part of MaximumFun.org. What a joy. Oh, oh what a treat I'm you excited. are. I was very excited the first time we met. We went to Langer's Deli and I was very nervous. Who wouldn't be excited to meet uh, that legendary pastrami sandwich? Right? <laughs> Delicious pastrami. And yeah. we talked about comedy for yeah. like an hour. And it was great. Thank you guys very much. And I apologize to everybody who really, 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 really loves Frasier and Friends. They're both very good shows. I don't. And I hope I didn't make your feelings get you hurt. You know what? No. Once we no. have determined an answer on this show, it is done. It's sealed. That's okay. it. Yeah. We can, we'll, we'll get, we'll get pushback. Don't worry. We won't, you won't have to worry about it. We'll absorb all of it. And by we, I mean how. Yep. Got that's it. right. I'm the one who's on social media, but I'm on there because I want to hear more suggestions from you. So suggest a way you can email us at we got this podcast at gmail.com. Or join our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we got this podcast. Al, can yes. I, can I suggest something that we do on my comedy show, Jordan Jesse Go? Please. If you have thoughts or suggestions about this week's episode, if you disagree with our final selection of The Simpsons, that is awesome. We would love to hear them. Uh, go on Twitter and tweet them at I am Papa John. So go ahead. At <laughs> I am Papa John. No spaces, no underscores. Yeah. Let him know. Yeah, please direct all questions and corrections to yes. at I am Papa John. Please let him know. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets or check out the Maximum Fun subreddit. A flame war could be happening right now. Thank you to producer <laughs> Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, who actually did research on a list of 70 shows that we rifled through. Graphic designer Ari Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. Big up Plumey. Plumey. That dude was doing that comedy nerd stuff in 1999. That's right. He was <laughs> all over it. Thank you, as always, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And of course, thanks to you, our listeners, who give us an opportunity every week to talk about the important things. Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for reaching out to us on social media. Uh, you guys are the reason we do this. Thank you. We love you all. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.